the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, listeners. Today's guests are Dr. Aubrey Amento. She is a sports medicine primary care doc with the Children's Hospital of Colorado, and Amanda McCarthy, who is a registered dietitian and program coordinator of the Sports Medicine Institute at the Children's Hospital of Colorado. Both are here today to discuss the female athlete triad. Dr. Amento and Amanda, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Amento and Amanda were at Denver and gave a talk on the female athlete triad. So we wanted to kind of go over that for our listeners today. Please either or or both of you in your own words, please tell us what exactly is the female athlete triad and who is at risk for that problem? I can start out. The athlete triad is the interplay between three components. The first is energy availability, which I know we're going to talk a little bit more about. Uh, the second is a reproductive function. So in the female athlete, that would refer to menstrual function. And the third component is bone health. And so the triad refers to pathology with those three components. So low energy availability, menstrual dysfunction or menstrual irregularities or loss of a period such as amenorrhea or secondary amenorrhea, and then reduced bone health, which includes increased risk of bone stress injuries, particularly in the athlete population. And we do see this more commonly in female athletes, but we also can see this in male athletes. And there was a more recently described male athlete triad, which parallels the female athlete triad. We do see this condition more often in sports that emphasize leanness. So think endurance sports like running, cycling, swimming, as well as more aesthetic sports like dance, figure skating, gymnastics, and then weight-based sports such as wrestling or weightlifting or martial arts. And we see increased risk for the triad in those types of athletes. Dr. Mento, what is the biggest concern with this? I know there are several things that go together, but from an orthopedic standpoint, my first thought is fracture, secondary osteoporosis. I know there are other problems, but would that be one of the biggest concerns or is it just the whole picture? Yeah, certainly bone health is a big concern uh, in this case, particularly when we think young athletes where bone health um, and bone accrual is most of that occurs during adolescence and into young adulthood. And so it's really the time to optimize bone health. And when we see impairments in bone health related to the triad, that can lead to long-term consequences, including risk of osteoporosis and fragility fractures down the road. But in, in athletes as well, it includes stress fractures or, or bone stress injuries. But we're also learning that there are other body systems that can be affected by um, low energy availability outside of, of bone health that are important to consider as well. Well, let's jump in. The first arm, if you will, of the triad uh, that you mentioned was low energy availability. What does that mean? What does low energy availability mean and how is it relevant as far as this 
problem? Low energy availability is essentially when uh, the body doesn't have enough energy left over after what has been used for exercise to be able to perform normal organ, normal metabolic function. And so low energy availability in general is calculated by taking what the athlete is eating, subtracting out their exercise energy expenditure and dividing that by their lean mass. Um, and we come up with a number. And so what we've seen with the female athlete triad research is that when an athlete is over a certain amount of energy per kilogram lean mass, they tend to be in what we call adequate energy availability and do not have menstrual disturbances, bone mineral density is normal versus when they're under a certain level, under 30 calories per kilogram lean mass they tend to have menstrual dysfunction and that does lead to bone, bone mineral density. So essentially it's the amount of calories that the body is getting for lean mass outside of their exercise. So you talked a little bit there about menstrual cycle and bone health, but you had also mentioned that several other organ systems we have to consider. How might having energy deficiency cause immunologic or hematologic issues or some of the other organ systems you mentioned. I, I was hoping you might touch on that. This is referring more to the model of what we call relative energy deficiency in sport or RED-S. And RED-S does include the triad, but it expands beyond bone health and reproductive function to include other body systems that can be affected in a state of energy deficiency so a couple examples that we see fairly often, uh, hematologic abnormalities, we do see um, iron deficiency with or without anemia. GI disturbances are common, complaints of bloating, gas, constipation. And then in the young athletes, we can see pubertal delay and slowed linear growth in the setting of chronic energy deficiency as well. And the REDS model also describes outside of these physiologic impairments to include the psychological and performance impairments that also can be associated with low energy availability. So this can include decreased sports performance, both endurance and decreased muscle strength, impaired judgment, impaired coordination, increased risk for anxiety and depressive symptoms. So that's just an example of, of the other systems that can be affected that are outlined in the REDS model. I skipped over that. I apologize. But yeah, so many different things can be affected here. Amanda, I think you had talked about how the energy availability is determined. You gave us a number for that. But would BMI ever be a diagnostic tool or would you use that as part of your workup when you're working up a patient that has this? Yeah, that's a really great question. And BMI is included in diagnostic criteria for determining if a DEXA is necessary on these patients. But we, I would say, we generally don't use it as our main criteria just because we do see athletes who can be in this underfueling, low energy availability state who have a, in air quotes, normal BMI. And so while that is a factor and that can indicate depleted energy stores, it's not the full picture. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah. important to recognize that somebody can be in a state of low energy availability and still have a normal BMI. Like Amanda mentioned, having low BMI or weight loss is a risk factor for low energy availability. However, it's not necessary to have low BMI in order to to be in a state of low energy availability. So while it can be useful in assessing risk for that in patients, it's really important to still consider the possibility of low energy availability, even in somebody who falls within a normal or healthy BMI category. Got it. Let's see. If we're talking about nutrition, what is the difference in, in you mentioned this in your talk, eating disorder and disordered eating. And then Amanda, you had mentioned underfueling. So if we're talking about nutrition, can you please touch on those topics a little bit? Eating disorder would, when I think of that, I, I think more of DSM-5 criteria for a clinical eating disorder, such as anorexia nervosa or bulimia. Disordered eating, I describe that as disordered behaviors in someone that doesn't necessarily meet clinical criteria for diagnosis of a clinical eating disorder. Uh, disordered eating behaviors, there's a wide array of things that we see, but some examples include purposeful restriction of calories, either through skipping meals or putting a calorie limit on how much someone will take in in a day purposeful elimination of types of foods from their diet, a lot of rigidity around eating and what types of foods they would consume, as well as thoughts of weight and body image that are very consuming um, and unhealthy. So it really kind of runs the spectrum of disordered thoughts and behaviors around food and body image. And then underfueling refers more to unintentional restriction of calories. So someone's not necessarily purposefully restricting calories. More often we see either they just don't know how much they need to support all of their energy demands or just a lack of ability to actually eat as, as much as is necessary to support, to support their energy demand. So there's not a disordered eating component when we refer more to, to underfueling. And Amanda, feel free to add on to that. Yeah, and I would say we get a nice mix of different reasons why the athlete is underfueling, whether it's disordered or whether it is an eating disorder in our clinic. For example, uh, athlete may have best intentions at just eating the best for their sport to really maximize their performance. And so maybe they've partaken in, again, air quotes, kind of clean eating type of behaviors where they've cut out a bunch of foods and then that is reducing their energy availability just because of the sheer amount of calories that they need to support the activity that they're doing. That may be disordered behavior. It may just be underfueling and the athlete is needing extra education, but we would be assessing that within, within our clinics as well. And when we think about the logistics of fueling, some of the athletes that I'm working with are exercising twice in a day. And so they may get up in the morning for a club practice uh, where they start at 5.30 or 6 a.m., have a two-hour practice, they go to school all day, and then they have another two-hour high school practice after school. So you can imagine for a growing young athlete who has already pretty high calorie needs, and then 
um, just the logistics of being able to fit the amount of food that they need in a day around those trainings and around school, it can just be difficult for them to get the food in. So that's part of my role is to help them understand where they need to fuel and how much they need to fuel in order to meet those energy needs. Sure. I imagine if they're growing and not getting the adequate nutrition, they're potentially doing some permanent harm. There can be risk if they are chronically under fueling that long-term height could be impacted. But the nice thing is, is that if we are catching that early and educating them and they are getting their energy availability increased to be meeting their needs, generally we can see that resolve pretty quickly. Dr. Amento and Amanda, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Stay tuned for more discussion on the female athlete triad coming next week. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. For non-members, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.